Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Unpacking the Toolbox is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Foremost, Guillermo Diaz and Katie Lowe's. I haven't seen you in so long, it breaks my fucking heart. It's fucked up. That's not right. But you know, the one place we do hang out is on the picket lines, bitch. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. With a ton of other actors. Yes, yes, yes. Tons of other actors. At the time of this recording, the WGA um, is working it out and and their strike has come to a close and right now SAG our union SAG AFTRA yes is still at the negotiating table and so to be in solidarity with our union SAG AFTRA and also you know this pending sort of murkier area with the WGA we are doing bonus apps right now yes we are <laughs> we're doing this new thing where we're going to unpack the industry if you will. Yeah. So we're going to kind of highlight those folks that work in movies and television that don't normally get, you know, the attention. They don't get the platform to speak about their journey and how they got there and, you know, where, where they came from and all of that stuff, which is super, super exciting. And again, like Katie said, we're standing in solidarity with our, you know, with the WGA and with our sag after brothers and sisters. So we want to be respectful and thoughtful. And we thought this is a really great way to do that and still continue on with the podcast. Yes. And give you guys some hot, hot content. Oh, yeah. That isn't uh, the rewatch podcast, which will be coming back when our awesome negotiating committee gets our fair deal, because I'm putting it out there, people. Yes, we'll be back. And speaking <laughs> of hot, hot content, we have a new buddy that's going to join us on unpacking the toolbox, unpacking the industry. And me, Katie and I have worked with her for a long time. I've known her forever. She's pretty freaking awesome. The best. And when we were like, let's do some bonus apps where we're not going to do the the usual rewatch. We will bring that to y'all when we get our fair deal, hopefully at some point soon. And in the meantime, we're going to bring on this cool, 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 cool chick. Yeah. Probably one of the coolest chicks who knows a lot more about the industry, actually, than me and G. Because me and G. Correct. We are just actors, although Guillermo has directed yes, before. Yes. However, we were like, let's bring on someone from Shondaland that actually knows about all these people we want to spotlight on the bonus apps. Like, we want to bring in makeup and wardrobe and sound supervisors, music everyone, yeah. supervisors, cinematographers. Yeah. We want to talk to just a lot of the people that make Hollywood Hollywood. Yeah. This new content we're bringing to you hot off the presses is felt good to us. Yeah. But also we needed a little bit of help. Yes. <laughs> G and I were like, who could we bring on that knows way more about this than us? <laughs> yes. Because... Yes. And the person we wanted wasn't available. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> this person. Listen, I've known this person for a really long time. I did a film, one of my favorite films with her that Aww. she produced. Aww. And then we spent years making our show, of course, yes. where we all met. And um, she is, should we? Uh, yeah. Should we keep? Let me give you a few other tips. Yeah. 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 Give us some more. Give us she some more. She likes fine wine. <laughs> she loves dogs. She loves architecture. She loves art. She loves Venice, Italy. She loves cool fucking glasses. She likes Cool, interesting kind of vintage jewelry pieces. Am yeah. I wrong? She used to be. She used to be a comedian. She, oh, she used to be a stand-up comedian. She amazing. used to be an actress. She is the greatest stage direction reader that has ever been birthed on the history of yes. the planet and, Earth. 
And Katie, she was the original podcaster for the show. We would go into her office at Shondaland and get interviewed by Homegirl. Yes. So she was the original, the original, the OG. So ladies and gents and everyone everywhere. Unpacking the Toolbox, Unpacking the Industry, brought to you by Katie Lowe's, Guillermo Diaz, and Betsy Betsy Beers. (laughs) What's up, Betsy? That's the sound of me laughing. You just unpacked my toolbox. Yeah, we did. I didn't have to say anything. My toolbox is just all over the place there. (laughs) Well, as you said, this toolbox is heavy. It's a heavy toolbox, and I think... What's really exciting about this is that um, y'all are going to get to hear some really cool stories from folks that we've had a chance to work with and really surprising ways that people have ended up kind of doing what they're doing and loving what they're doing. Um, But what we thought we would do today as a big special treat for me and for hopefully anybody else is I think we need to unpack Guillermo and Katie's toolboxes just to start out so we can all just sort of, you know, get into this new process. And there are a lot of things that I bet all you don't know about Katie and Guillermo. I mean, they get interviewed a lot and they're fabulous and they're famous actors and they have the Instagrammy and they put their faces and stuff on and it's super cool. And then they're (laughs) beautiful. Instagrammy is incredible. It's the Instagrammy. And I say that because I'm a Grammy, but I'm not really. I have no the children. Hottest, but you are so not. I'm so hot as a Grammy. You are. you are. But we thought it'd be really fun to actually do a little bit of digging, just have a chat about how the hell these two big buckets of endless talent started talenting their ways across the world. And how do you start and do and survive and thrive in this business? Because mm. Mm. I don't. I don't know. I couldn't do it. I was kind of a <laughs> shitty comedian. And thank God I found I that doubt some, that. Oh, I doubt it. Oh, there's evidence to prove it. You're one of the funniest people mm. I've ever met, Betsy. Don't get me near You're it. the wittiest. Mm. You're, yeah, you crack me up every time. But I think you bring up a good point, Betsy, which is everybody in this industry that we've ever met. And like G was saying, how cool people are who do so many different jobs to make shows and make Hollywood happen. And it is such a non-traditional life and no one has a linear straight line to get there. You know, everyone's way, like, Betsy is one of the most prolific, respected, and highly accomplished producers in the business. And the way that you got here is insane. (laughs) And the way that we all got here is crazy. And I feel like this new podcast apps we're putting out are all about cool jobs in this industry and how the fuck did people get there exactly and i think that's incredibly well put um i would like to do a throwback to the old days when i did this and i want to tell people what you are wearing so that they can picture what we're doing because we're in a we're in a split screen because we are doing this remotely which is really annoying because i love being in the same room with people but like whatever so guillermo is wearing a fetching black t-shirt with a big red heart on it which is sort of a a red heart with gunshots? No, no, no gunshots. It says breaker on it. I can't it. read it gunshots. because you're a tiny bit blurry. But why does it like, say breaker? Because it's heartbreaker. Oh, you're a, ha- you're a yeah. heartbreaker. Yeah. Okay, so I'm he's the yeah. dumbest. He's, I'm the one who thought it was gunshots. Okay, so he's wearing this incredibly cool T-shirt, which I totally misidentified with my blurry eyeballs. Katie, you, y'all, Katie has accessorized for this podcast. I did. With a gorgeous necklace which surprisingly has a K on it, from assuming... Shocker! Katie. Katie. She's wearing some baller uh, glasses frames, which make her look like mm-hmm. super powerful and maybe just a little bit like, oh, I don't know, like Margot Robbie in Once Upon a Time Ooh, in Hollywood. Yeah. I love like, you. Very avery a- Here's the hot tip on these glasses for everyone listening. I love glasses. She I'm does. so jealous of Betsy Beers and Guillermo she does, Diaz. Because I need cool, them. Cool, cool yeah. glasses. I don't, so need, do I. I don't need glasses. I have 2010 vision. I could be a fighter pilot, people. <laughs> a fighter pilot. I get tested every year. Nope. Eyes are still fine. Really? So you know, oh, yeah. But I buy fake glasses. I put... <laughs> first of all, glasses are the best accessory. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. You look immediately more fashionable. Yeah, a and totally. B, can I tell you what they do about the eye bags? Because let me just oh. say, when you have the eye bags, just get a 
big fucking frame. Stick them on your face. It's great. Kind yeah, of. covers it all up. Exactly. Oh, yeah, baby. But also, Katie, you're mm. around, around, I'm not going to say your age, but you're around the time when I was like, oh, I can't quite read that print. It's starting. So, it's starting so it might at be night. Coming. At night, yes, guys. I'm, yes. getting, I'm turning 41 at the time of this recording. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, actually. No. Yes. No. Yes. I turned 40 wonderful. And maybe I'm going to go to that eye doctor and this my whole cute, like, ooh, aren't I so cute? My eyes are perfect and I <laughs> He's get gonna be like, glasses. He's going to be like, you need glasses. you're a danger on the road at night. <laughs> it's time to get some real lenses up in those glasses. <laughs> We'll see, you know, guys. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> it's, it's the sort of thing you get for your birthday. Now, speaking of your birthday, Katie Lowe's, mm. where were you born? Look at that pivot. This queen is the queen of pivots, which is what we're doing on this podcast. That's right. We're pivoting. I was born in Queens, New York, Ozone Park. And my mother talks like this. And she, she gets, really, she really talks like this. Oh, she's like unbelievable. You're from fucking New York too, aren't you? I'm no, from you're New from York. Long Island. I'm from Long Island, which is right. very, very different. But I didn't grow up in a place with that very, accent. Very, very. Well, I moved to Long Island, so it went there too. Oh. Right. To um, to specifically where, Katie? To Port Washington, right? Port Washington, Long Island, yeah. which is Betsy Beers. I lived in Huntington, Cold Spring Harbor, Oyster Bay area, where we worked very hard not to have accents of any sort so we could be as bland as possible. <laughs> so I could develop an accent really fast to de- distinguish myself from the assholes with whom I grew up. No offense if anybody's listening to me. You're, I'm sure you're great now. From Oyster Bay. So you were. how long did you live there as a tiny little tot? I grew up in Ozone Park till I was about seven or eight. My dad's a fashion photographer, which was very cool. I know. Jeez. You know, you know, you know, of course, when people think fashion photographer, they think Vogue or they think something, you know, fancy. But he was a mail order catalog photographer, which in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, before everything went digital, this was huge. This was how people shot. Yeah. The L.L. Bean catalog came the Blair catalogs came. Yes. All of these catalogs. That's how people bought their clothes. And my dad was slammed busy. But growing up, it was always very cool to have a parent who was an artist, a freelance artist. You know, my dad is like an actor. He's like a gig person. It's like he went from magazine to magazine and not doing the Vogue's or the Oscar winning. Like he was doing the stuff that put the food on the table and was security. And like we had great years and we had very lean years. And I got to see that sort of thing. And my dad always said, if you can make my hobby was always photography. And if you can make your hobby your job, you have you stand a chance of being happy. That's um, that's so great. So he was always very supportive of um, acting until I was 12 and I begged (laughs) for an agent Wait, did he ever did he ever photograph you, Katie, for any of the I was the... just about to ask you that. Did you model for the catalogs? Oh, right. Well, remember when starter jackets were in? Yes. No, what are those? Those like big, puffy, disgusting jackets oh, yeah. that have like the dolphins, Miami dolphins, and oh, they're turquoise those and silver. Or like, jackets, yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> um so he douchey. he rented out all of Met Stadium for that photo shoot and and he thought it would be so fun if I like came. But and so I did do some pictures, but guys, I am not model material. I'm I'm not. I I'm not, and that's fine. But he knew a lot of models who were also actors, and so when I begged at twelve for an agent and to do it professionally, my dad was like, "Absolutely fucking not." He was like, "No fucking way." He was oh, like, yeah. "Really?" Yeah. He just was around a lot of young girls knew, who were yeah. doing this, and he just was like. Your mother is not driving you and your little brother around to auditions. You're going to school. You're focusing on school. You're going to be with the family. If you want to major in it, I think he was loving enough to even support that. I mean, which is crazy. But he really was like, do community theater. Do the high school plays. Do dance class. Like, I will support you through and through because um, it's just all I ever wanted to do. I was one of those fucking annoying children that was making everybody watch me perform at all times. I am so sorry. (laughs) But that's great. That's great advice that he gave you, Katie, right? Because that pushback, like, you know, I'm the same way. Like, 
my parents could have been like, you're not doing, you're not acting ever. Yes. Everybody could have turned me down. Yes. And I knew in my heart that I was going to do it no matter what. Yes, same. So it was great advice because he was probably like, let me make sure that she really, really wants to go into this profession. And you did and you continued and you did it. First of all, you were born. I know the answer to this, but go ahead and tell uh, tell the listeners. I was born in, in Washington Heights in Manhattan in New York City. So you can see we're all sort of like New York based, which is great. And when did you know, when did you first kind of get the inkling that maybe this is what you wanted to do? I, I remember the exact moment. And um, oh, wow. I was in high school. I was a sophomore in high school. So I was about 17. And my two like best friends were were going to be part of the talent show. And they were doing the Beastie Boys. And one of the guys that was playing Mike <laughs> D, one of the Beastie Boys, dropped out. And till this point, I never thought about acting. I didn't care. I didn't even think about it. I I wasn't interested in it. And I was like, and they asked me, will you be Mike D? You know, will you join us um, for the talent show? It was like in two weeks or whatever. Something we all want to hear at some point in our lives. We all want to be asked to be Mike D. Exactly. (laughs) Go ahead. And so I was like, yeah, sure. And then, you know, the minute I hit that stage on that first before we had like two performances, um, like a Thursday and a Friday night, I, I knew instantly that this is where I wanted to be and this is what I wanted to do. Wow. Yeah. Was it the crowd? Ro- like, was <laughs> the crowd roaring? Like, in your head, was it like you felt good being somebody else or you felt good because everybody was watching or like, what was I think it? it was a, I think it was a, com- a combination of all of that. Sometimes I think back and it's, it makes me a little sad because I in high I had a really tough time in high school mm-hmm. um, because I was bullied a lot and all that shit. And when I was on, I remember being on stage, all those people that bullied me were cheering and jumping up and down and clapping. Oh so God. I associated being on stage and performing with people liking me and not fucking with me anymore. So I think that's what drew me into it immediately. You know what I mean? Yeah. And did you find as soon as you got off stage that people started to treat you differently? Yeah, absolutely. They were like, oh, shit, you were so good, man. And I was like, you just, you know, threw me down the fucking stairs. (laughs) And now you're like, yo, that was so good, man. Oh, I bet they just want to be friends with you now and smoke a joint. (laughs) I bet they regret that. Anyway. Right. Exactly. Wow. See, that's crazy. So, Katie, from the very beginning, you always kind of knew it. But Guillermo, it was like a lightning bolt for you. Yeah. And then, of course, listen, that that's what that's what sort of uh, lit me up. And I thought, oh, my God, this is, you know, everybody likes me and this felt really good. But then, of course, with time, I fell in love with acting and performing and the craft and all of it. So it wasn't just just that sort of, you know superficial, if you will, feeling of like, oh, people like me. I I grew to then fall in love with acting. So that felt really good. Now, did you go to school? Did you simply act in plays and kind of do stuff locally? Or did you go someplace and kind of make a big effort and go train? You know what? I didn't. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I remember like maybe a month after that, that uh, Beastie Boy performance, I started, I started researching and I found out about Backstage which was a newspaper that I would put out, you know, oh, auditions and open calls. Circle, open calls. Oh, yes. I got a number put on me. It was like chorus line. Yes. I'm like <laughs> dancing and they're like, next, get the fuck out of here. It was horrible. <laughs> also, I remember we all found our resume photos. Like the photographers always advertised in backstage. And that's yes. how you found the incredibly shitty photographer who took your first hyper creepy photo. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe if you were lucky, you'd get like a triptych and it would be you as a wacky housewife or maybe With glasses, a, yes, or yeah. playing a dentist uh, or dressed as a policeman. Or uh, juggling. Juggling. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's great. Actually, I somewhere yeah. on my Instagram I have, because I've only posted like five times, but somewhere on my Instagram I have one of my first like headshots. Like, headshots no because way. Because we all, there was a few years ago, we all put our headshots up and- it's actually, I should take it up and you should do it too, because Let's I have do to put it. mine up. My dad took my first one. I have to, from college, it's a nightmare. When, at the time of the airing of this podcast, we will release some of our first uh, headshots. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Yes. But it is it is that weird thing. So you both did, a backstage was just like torture, torture on paper. You 
you both did the sort of backstage thing. Katie, you train. Did you go to, you went to school and did all that yes, kind of stuff? Yes, the same conversation, literally. Like, like I came out, you know, dancing and singing and acting. Oh, God, I think I, that would annoy me so bad if that was either of my kids right now. I'm so sorry to my parents. Uh-oh. But the same <laughs> conversation where I said to my dad, like, I want an agent. I was in an acting class when I was 12. My mom found me like some local thing in Long Island and I would go and I did this. Um, and that's when I was like, I want an agent. And my dad said no. And in that same conversation, <laughs> wow. I said, fine, I'm going to college and I'm going to study acting and I'm living in New York City for the rest of my life. And I'm going to NYU and I'm only doing theater and I'm never going to learn how to drive because I'm just taking to taking the subway forever. <laughs> Fuck yes. And I'm only going to speak in a theater voice for the rest of time, <laughs> darling. Wait, you weren't even in high school y- yet, no, right? No, I, fr- I was 13. I was like about to be in high school. Wow. I was young for my grade. But so at... You so, knew. Yes, I knew. Yeah. And I remember my parents, I would figure it out. I would find it. I remember taking the Long Island Railroad train by myself to look at Tisch School of the Arts and go to a visiting day. And I sat there in the Glee Club saying, walking on broken glass. And I was like, this is my school. This is my school. This is my school. This is my school. But I had to get it. (laughs) (laughs) And and so I applied early decision and I think I I got in and I just was that, that, that cheesy theater college kid, theater major. At Tisch School of the Arts, but then my parents, it all took a hard left turn because little Katie musical theater smiling, tapping across the stage turned to experimental nudity, yes. masturbatory, no. dark, yes. everybody's yes. naked, no. everybody's jerking off, no. everybody's yeah. calling it art for four years. And my parents would come to every show because that's who Mortified. they are and they're so wildly supportive and would be like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like... What it, like in these small thirty seat houses, oh. and my boobs are out, and like yeah. my dad, I, you know, and I'm all making a stand, like, well, you have to come, like this is my art, and they're like, well, we're not bringing your fourteen year old brother, and I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> if you love me at all, you will love the plays I'm making. Which, by the way, <laughs> I just want to say, like, yes, the art was trash. Okay, it was not good. It wasn't. Well, I don't know. I don't know that that's the right? case. I don't know. That said, yeah. a lot of the people, like, I wouldn't say, I mean, yes, the tra- I think the training was great, but really what NYU gave me was an amazing group of people who, shockingly, um, I keep running into them on the picket lines because... It's so wow. amazing, but so many wow. of them actually ended up getting hired and actually getting paid to act or direct or write or produce. You know what I mean? And so for yeah. that, mm-hmm. even though we made this craziest, stupidest, most experimental, I mean, body lice broke out in the experimental theater wing. That's how disgusting <laughs> we were rolling around. That's how around close on you guys were. Mats. That is, that is, a, <laughs> gross, that's like, gross, that should be gross. a whole class in itself. It's yeah. like body lice. <laughs> Theater 205. That's right. And how to get rid of it. Yeah. We will be back with more after the break. Summon your anticipation for an all new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. So wait, now, Guillermo, so take me back. So she's, her tits are hanging out. In a black box theater. In a black box theater. She's doing new renditions of Sylvia Plath and really, really wishes that she was, you know, in the performing garage. So that's where Katie is. With body lice. (laughs) 
with body lice. Most importantly, starring the body lice, co-starring Katie. So Guillermo, so then, so Katie's like doing, doing all that stuff. You find yourself, you start to audition for things. How quickly did you actually start to work? And my memory, knowing a little bit about your family, is they were not as loosey-goosey as Katie's family in terms of a lot of stuff, but they were sort of vaguely supportive in a benign kind of way, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were. Listen, so I, I started um, I started buying backstage and I started freaking going up even for background work. Like I was applying for like, I did a ton of extra work, which I, I'm so glad I did that because I feel like I super, like totally paid my dues. And, and like Katie was saying earlier, I just wanted to act. I wanted to be around actors. I wanted to be around directors. I wanted to be around that world. So I just kept finding a way to be around that. And a lot of it was student films. I did a million student films for NYU. Oh my God. I did so many NYU student films and, and school of visual arts. And, and then I did, I started doing a a ton of children's theater all through backstage. I did children's theater for like two years and I would get paid 20 bucks a performance. And we would do all the, you know, children's fairy tales, like the three little pigs and, um, a little oh, Red Riding Hood. Oh, my and- God. I did not know this. Hey, Guillermo, Guillermo, yeah. Guillermo. This is why this is so good, right? So, yeah. Guillermo, what did you play in The Three Little Pigs? I was the wolf. I'm the one oh, that blew the house so down. Great. I you bet the- you yes. were amazing. You yeah. were, you're the yeah. star of the show. Yeah. Oh. I have that a performance on VHS from me playing the wolf. Can okay, you believe I, I, If I don't get to see that, I'm going to come over and punch you in the face. <laughs> Same. I will be right behind you to kick I, you in the nuts. I know where you live. <laughs> I got to get my parents to transfer it over to, you know, whatever video files. You have to. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I remember playing the wolf. And then uh, when it came to the part where the wolf start, blows the house down, sure. I would get all the kids up out of their seats in the theater to help me blow the house down. And that was the most exciting part. And the little kids would love it so much. So we were like a repertory Company. It was called uh, Playhouse something Playhouse. Oh my god, I can't. The Courtyard Playhouse. That's what it was called. Oh wow. my god. Um, so I yeah, I worked there for like two, three years doing doing shows, and we would get paid like twenty bucks a performance or something yeah. like hey. that. It was it was basically hey. the amount of money. Yeah, yeah. For tokens to get to there. get yeah. there. And then and then you know moving forward a little bit uh, or fast forwarding a little bit, I I uh, saw an ad for a theater company called Intar Lab. And wow. I went and auditioned, and it was with Gary Perez and John Ortiz and Jeez, Daphne Louise. Ruben Vega. Lies. So we they started this uh, theater company for Latinos. So I I began sort of my theater uh, training with all of those guys, and we would go into a, a a theater that wasn't used anymore on 53rd between like 10th and 11th, yep. and they would give us that space and let us just do our thing, and we would you know read scenes and improv. I remember one time we dressed. It was like kabuki night and they were like, just grab whatever shit you want and make up in costumes and come on stage and do a performance. It was stuff like that. And unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Intar Lab obviously became Labyrinth yeah. Theater Company. Yeah, Huge. with uh Huge. Philip Seymour Hoffman and all those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For anybody, any of the listeners who aren't familiar with that, it's one of the premier uh theater companies in New York. And the fact that we're hearing about the roots of this is insane because I never knew any of that. That's really? amazing. No, I never knew any. Yeah. I never knew that you worked with this theater company. Or if I did, I have the Alzies and I forgot. But- <laughs> <laughs> the Alzies and the Instagrammies. I'm dead. My first play was called Rough House and we did it. You know, it was the first it was the first Intar Lab production and John Ortiz played my brother. And okay, so I love it uh, so much. Wait a second. What yeah. was what was Rough House about? Maybe Katie could have been in it from the sounds. Uh, like she could have. She sure time. could have. Yeah. Um, it was a dysfunctional family who there was an alcoholic sister who, See? you know, ends up um, dying in a in a car crash because she was drunk driving. It, it was just it was a, a really well written, like dysfunctional family uh, drama. It was your long day's journey in tonight. <laughs> exactly. Except not not as long. Yeah, but also yeah. paint this picture. <laughs> I love this G. Tell Betsy, because I love this story so much, and our listeners, like the the crew that you were running and rolling around with in the theater at this time, like you got invited because you were Daphne Rubin Vega was in there. Yes. To like a first reading in an apartment. Yeah. With 
Daphne Rubin Vega. Yeah, they were doing Rent. She, I remember her what? coming into the theater. No kidding. Like the first fucking act. One of those nights, and and Daphne was handing out. Dear listeners, <laughs> Daphne was handing out, or not handing out. She was giving us, you know, these little pamphlets saying, "Hey, I'm I'm doing this new show called Rent," and um, yeah, we were there from the the very beginning of that, and they were, you know, I don't think they really knew. Obviously, they didn't know what it was going to turn into, but I think they started at a PS one twenty two is where yeah, they yeah. first started performing it, and then it got picked up from there. But yeah, I remember Daphne being super excited and all of us checking it out. And then all of a sudden, next thing we knew it was, you know, Can you it was rent. Can you fucking believe that? This is yeah. amazing. Like, was Jonathan yeah, yeah. Larson in the room when you were there? I don't remember. I don't think so. I don't remember. Yes. He must have been. He must have been. Yeah, he must have oh. been. If, he, if you were doing readings and workshopping and yeah. stuff, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I also remember like Sam Rockwell being in the, you know, in these, in these, uh, these nights with us at, at the theater and, and, you know, all of us were, were nobodies. We just, and uh, we all had that, that love for acting though. And we, we were so filled with um, passion and we were hungry to just act. And that felt so good. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, Katie, but we do, you know, then you, years later you start doing work and, and you, you it, it's nice to sort of think back on those times and remember how much you love acting and, and why you really started doing it, and and the and best. whenever I think about those times, it it brings me back, and it reminds me again of why I love acting so much, and how lucky I am that I was able to to have all those experiences and stuff. And then and and then at that at that play that I did, Rough House, an agent saw me in that play and signed me, and that's when I got my first uh, my first agent. So an agent came to see Rough House. They were like John Ortiz's agent, I think. It was the Lucy Kroll agency. I oh, remember yeah. the agency, Lucy Kroll. which is crazy. I remember Lucy Kroll. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> she wouldn't, she wouldn't She's touch like, me with didn't the, sign me. She wouldn't <laughs> touch me with a 10-foot fucking pole, people. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out Lucy Kroll was smarter than we thought. Guillermo, <laughs> yes. Betsy, no. 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 Anyway, so then it all started, started working from there. Did you... Another just like question, and then I've got a follow up question because that's yeah. what I do. All I do is just have so many things you. I want to ask you. Um, okay, so did you all do commercials at this point, or did you audition for commercials? Did you get them? Did you not get them? Because that was when I was living in New York and I was doing bad theater and comedy. The bread and butter was commercials, and I was had a, I got like one or two, but I was kind of sucky at it. Yeah, I wasn't like, good I, either. I, I couldn't hold a baby. There were, there were all these problems. And by the way, still true, dear listener. But I so t- tell me a little bit about that because when you're in New York, that's definitely something. Especially in those days, it became oh yeah, it, it just became a thing. It was always sort of a rite of passage. Guillermo, did yeah. you do many commercials? I didn't. I auditioned for them a ton. Yep. I remember doing a bunch of music videos for no money, um, <laughs> no, which is crazy. You know, like rap music videos. Music yeah. videos. Equals no money, though. I mean, like oh, one hundred percent. I don't. I don't know anybody who got paid. Sometimes, including directors, on unlike music videos, right? <laughs> yes, yes. But I did like one beer commercial. I did a Coca Cola commercial in Spanish. I I got cast in a lot of commercials in Spanish because I'm fluent in Spanish. But you know, the regular run of the mill commercials on on just American commercials, I, I was never cast. I don't think I was white enough. <laughs> you were, you know? Oh, what? oh my god, at that age, well. And, you know, that was really <laughs> – I had a similar thing where, like, some really shady manager saw me in a show at NYU, like, a main stage, and he signed me and made – and there was this, like, hefty contract. And this guy was a real fucking shady, shady McShaderson. <laughs> and uh, – but, you know, he would get me some auditions for shady shit. <laughs> like And – but then, like, he got me with a commercial agent – um, and I did start going out on commercials and I actually did book like that's how I I did like got flown to in- Indianapolis. And guys, I was the face of Steak and Shake for about a 15 episode up. slot where I had to go for two weeks. And I did like 15 commercials in two weeks where I was a Steak and Shake waiter. And I was really, really great at the waiting tables part, bad at the acting in commercials part. And I just, I remember feeling so terrible because they just made my lines less and less and less and less. Like they started taking away more and more of my responsibility because they just weren't happy with what I was doing and it just felt terrible. 
but it was $10,000. It was non-union. And that was like the most money fucking ever. And then I got my SAG card. SAG after it was separate at the time. I booking a birth control commercial Wow! for the birth control patch. See, I always book the jobs where you actually have to have the thing because it cuts out a lot of the competition. Like, if you're auditioning for a commercial that's about a birth control patch, technically, you have to be somebody who uses that shit. And at the time, I was actually using this fucking birth control patch. So that's how I got my SAG card, real fancy. And then similarly, my first job, which I also beat out a lot of people who couldn't even get there because the line was, I don't eat fish, the toxins, while you're smoking a cigarette. And the joke is that you're inhaling a toxin, but you wouldn't eat a fish because of the toxins. And all the young girls didn't smoke, but I did. You were like, I'm a smoker, bitch. Like, I'll smoke this shit. Let's go. So again, I only (laughs) book the job when, like, for actual reasons, most of them have been cut out already. (laughs) Unbelievable. So I so. Oh, but I do remember moving to L.A. and never booking a commercial again because it was so different. Yes. Now, both of you, it would be curious to hear. So, Katie, obviously, there came a point where you where you had to make money. And you weren't making enough money acting. Yeah, and years of that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you did. Yeah, I had so I mean, you know, there's a reason a lot of actors wait tables or bartend. And it's because you can work at night and you can be in an audition class in the day or actually make it to auditions if you're lucky yep. enough to have them. And so in New York, the minute I graduated school and it's incredible that I even made it that far with someone supporting me. My dad was like, I'm done. Like, here's the info for your health insurance. Mm-hmm, here's mm-hmm. the info for your <laughs> cell phone. Here's what your rent costs. Here's a Metro card. Good luck. And so I started uh, my first waiting tables gig in New York City was at BB King's Jazz and Blues Club in Times Square. And it was a fucking nightmare. Wow. I had anxiety attacks nightly. And I actually had to leave because <sighs> I had my like first real anxiety attack when oh, like, Katie. like, mm-hmm. There was a band playing. You have tables of hundreds of people. You can't hear anything because it's a live music show and you're screaming and running around and it was horrible. <sighs> and then I started waiting tables at a much better like theater restaurant that that had a that was in the theater district. So you would get slammed from five to seven forty five and then everybody was gone. It was great. Little privately owned Italian joint. Shout out Cafe Cello, 53rd and 8th Avenue for anyone who's ever been there. Um, was right around the corner from the Letterman show. Um, and I was really good at waiting tables once I got the hang of it. Um, I was never cool enough to... I filled in for bartenders here and there, but I was never cool enough. I'm such a waitress and not a bartender. I don't know what that means, but it that was who I was. Oh, I bet people loved you, though. You're so great with people. Oh, You're so thank personable. You. So. Thank yeah. you. When I got the hint to move out, like, oh, shit, you know, in New York, I got my equity card. I got my SAG card. I'm working, but I cannot get ahead. I can't make a savings. I This is so fucking hard. Maybe if I try L.A., it'll be different. Nope. Waited tables in L.A. <laughs> forever, too. Nope. Shout nope. out to Ammo on Highland, just north of Santa Monica. It was a big power. Gigantic power place. And the irony is there is a very large likelihood, because I used to go there every week, there's a very large likelihood that at some point before I knew Katie Lowe's, she waited on me. Oh, I waited on you, Betsy yes. Beers. I fucking waited on oh. everybody. Yep. I know so much We need shit. to recreate that. We, we do. After, after we watch Guillermo's tape of... Like being the big bad wolf. I think we, yes. we've got a lot of catching up to do on this front. I waited on everyone. You fucking name it. Justin Timberlake, Orlando Bloom, Mick Jagger, what? Bruce Cohen, Dan Jinks, Ryan Murphy. Every fucking day. Table 17. Don't fuck with him. Not sitting at table 17. He will ream you out. It will be bad. Really? Oh, Ava Mendez, Ryan Gosling, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, shit. No wonder it was so hard for me to get a table. See, that's that makes total sense because like, I'm sorry. It was now I understand bananas. why. Ryan and, Murphy oh, was oh, there. Katie Holmes, um, Kirsten Dunst. Everybody. I mean, our regulars were so crazy. Wow. Um, and it was really, it was kind of fun because it was so Hollywood, and I was such a New Yorker, and I really yeah. hadn't been around a lot of stars. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And it was really, it was 
an amazing community because all my friends, guess how I got the job? The friends from NYU all moved out here and were working in ammo before me and got no me way. the gig. Of course. Yes. I'm telling you, this is the way this stuff works. <laughs> now, at any point at that point, did you feel like quitting or giving up? Or was there any point where you all you, you, you ever just sort of went, yeah, I've got to pivot. Like, I've got to pivot. No, I in my gut, I knew I was never going to quit, but I sure as fuck cried a lot. Like, I just cried like, again, I think I had had this sort of I had had this sort of sparkly uh, childhood of acting, meaning like, you know, I was the lead in the plays and, sure. I, and I always got the part I wanted. And so as soon as I realized, oh, shit, this is really hard. I'm 21 years old. I can't book a job to save my life. Nobody cares. I'm one in a billion. Everybody's like me. I'm literally sitting in rooms where all the girls look like me and all the girls are good. And I, I don't know why someone would take a chance on me. And I think I'm going to be waiting tables till the end of time. And I can't every month when the first comes around, I'm back at zero. Like I only ever made enough to just just to pay the rent to get food. Yeah. The yeah. $150 phone bill. I was on the lowest health insurance, you know, all that shit. So it was just such a grind. And guys, I wasn't only waiting tables. I was waiting tables at night, running to, th this was at a time when the business was very different. I would have like a million auditions and not get them. Um, but I would also be like side hustling, like babysitting for this family over here to make a few extra bucks or like, oh, Disney's asking you to come in and do a few like scratch voices for $100 for six hours of work. And then you're going to start a theater company with your friends because it's the only thing that gives you any sort of purpose or right. <laughs> like make sure your artistic soul isn't dying, you know, in the busser line to clean the dishes. But, you know, I think that everyone I wish it was mandatory. That everybody yeah. works I in the service go industry. Hell oh, yeah, I agree. Wait, Guillermo, did you wait on tables too, or did you do something else? I didn't. I didn't. I did. I did so many different things. I uh, I worked at the Javits Center at the concession stand. <laughs> I Jesus. that's Listen, service. This, that's the service industry. Yeah, sure is. I had a crazy job, which I loved, uh, where I would hold a box full of cassette tapes for this musician. That would play the guitar in the subway. <laughs> so we would go, I would meet him at like 34th Street and Penn Station or 42nd Street and Times Square. He would, he would call me and tell me where to meet him. And then I would just sell his tapes and then he would give me, I don't know, it was like 40 bucks he would give me for the night. But I did that for a while and that was, I, I, I loved doing that. So I, I spent a lot of time in the subway with this guy playing his guitar and selling his tapes. Do you remember um, his name? I don't. I wish I did. What was the kind of music? What was the music? It was. Uh, it was. It was kind of b folky, but Cute. it was all original stuff. It was. It was. He had really long hair, long black hair. He was into it though, and I sold a lot of tapes. Like people bought his so stuff. Wait a second. How did you? How did you meet? Like like this guy who sang folky stuff. A friend of mine had that job before me. <laughs> And he was nice. moving on and he was like, Guillermo, do you want to do this job? And I was like, yep. So he passed along the job. My friend Robbie Masonette, I still remember his name. He's great. He's a director now and he's well, he's created a lot of great theater. Um, and then I had a job at a at a photo stock agency called Retina um, where I would I would file photos, slides and eight by ten photos of celebrities. And I did that for a bunch of years and, and, you know, so paparazzi photographers would come into the office and, and sort out all their material and then I would have to file it. And this is the weirdest job I've ever heard in my I life. What it. are I your hours? It. Was it like nine to five? Yeah, it was like nine to five. Yep. And I would be there filing pictures of celebrities all day long. And of course, I would get to see, you know, Madonna's file. I would get to see all the, the, pop, the new uh, Madonna paparazzi photos that would come in. And I, they, they all knew I was a big Madonna fan, so they would be like, "Look, Irma, we just shot Madonna." And this is un unbelievable. Yeah, that's unbelievable. We'll be right back, guys. 
Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Now, did you did you ever get to a point through all of this where you actually considered quitting? You know what? No. Just like Katie, I knew in my heart that I was never going to quit. There were really hard times and I cried too. But even with all the rejection and all the insecurity that I had, there were, I, I wish I, I had the, the freaking courage and the strength I had during that time because nothing was going to take me down. I never had one inkling of a doubt that I was not going to make it. You got to want it so bad. Can you imagine? I try to tell people, I'm like, how hard it is to get a job, right? Like, and how much you put on the line of like insecurity and, you know, and most people probably interview for X amount of jobs in their lifetime. Yeah. What, what, 20, 30, I don't know, something like that. Actors are doing that hundreds. I mean, if you're lucky enough, you're really in the game and you're auditioning a lot. I mean, you're getting opportunity and told no hundreds and thousands of times a year. And some of them you get really close. Some of them you're some of them you really want. Like you are like like I mean, oh, it's, yeah. that's what I mean. So you're it, you're it's such a hard career in that you're heartbroken a lot. You have to be kind of naively hopeful. Like today is going to be different than the rest of this year where I haven't gotten shit. Like it's just like mm-hmm. so crazy. But it would also like I don't know about you, Katie, but it would it would it would drive me even more when I got a rejection. When I get didn't get a job, I would be like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm getting the. Ne-. It would it would make me even more passionate for the work and to get that next job. You know what I mean? It made made me stronger. And I think a lot of people, I think that's what, um, you know, a lot of actors that, that are, are pursuing acting. I think um, that's what, that's when you, you discover who, who really wants it bad enough and who doesn't. Cause then there's that group of, I have a lot of friends that were actors that were just like, "Ah, I just couldn't do it. It was too much. And they, you know, they, they fell away and, but then there were there were the group that continued on and, and most of them made it, you know, the perseverance, man. All your stories are so interesting and inspiring because you all figured out a way to both stay yourselves and adapt to the marketplace. And part of the reason I'm asking all these questions is it's sort of like a lot of this has to do with constantly pivoting. It's like Katie goes to Los Angeles. It's totally different than New York. So she constantly pivots in order to figure out a way both to fit in, but remain the talented if you, you know, remember, I stood on a fucking soapbox and said, I'm living in New York till the day I die and I'm not even learning how to drive a car. I had to move <laughs> to Los oh, yeah. Angeles in the hardest driving town of all fucking time. And I got my first car was from a company called rent a wreck where you could pay. Yeah. That was all we could afford. Yes. That's right. It was three hundred dollars a month for a fucking beater piece of shit. And I remember landing at LAX. I had spent all my money on the ticket, getting my rent to wreck and driving on the 10 in the right lane because I had driven like 10 times. I mean, I got my license. My mom forced me when I was 18, but I had never practiced like I had never wow. really spent a lot of time behind the wheel. I'd probably logged, I don't know, 20 hours driving. And then I'm on the fucking 10. Guys, not I got in so many car accidents when I moved out here (laughs) and thankfully not like scary big ones, just like dumb ones. Like I hit a parked car, like stupid shit. But that Um, is the best (laughs) metaphor, by the way. That's the best metaphor. I didn't know how to drive and I got in a car and I did it anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what you all have to do, which is you're constantly and you're also, you know, so part of this whole world, which most people know, obviously, is the audition. But you're constantly walking into different rooms and you're having to deal with how do I assess and adjust to this energy? 
all through this, like throughout all this for both of you, is there like, like a person who you always sort of saw as, for lack of a better expression, your North Star? Like, was, were there, was there somebody or people who like, you always felt like you, you did your best work for, you felt like they had your back, that also were your inspiration for things? I had a professor in college that the minute I I did any kind of work on the stage in in the one sort of uh, uh, drama, there there were like three drama courses. I went to Baruch College, which was not a, a theater college at all. It was a business school uh, that J Lo went to. Um, but of wow. course, I, she clearly yeah, learned yeah, yeah. a lot about business, yeah. right? Listen, really. But of course, I gravitated towards the theater department and did all the the plays at the school. And but I had one professor professor that believed in me more than I believed in myself. And she, you know, for the duration of me being in 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 the school, and even after that, she she was always like like you said, she was like my my guiding light, like my 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 northern star. And she. Again, she just believed in me more than I believed in her. And every job I did, you know, whether it was theater or TV or film or whatever, I always thought of her. She died shortly after I graduated mm. uh, college, unfortunately, uh, from cancer. But she's always been in sort of my heart and in my head. And I always, I always, always think of her all, all the time because she was just such a, a wonderful guiding light for me. And yeah. she's somebody you... You really did your best work for, and in a weird way, yeah. alive or even after she passed away, it's like yeah. she was She's that still little there. voice in the back of your head going, mm-hmm. "That was great, I or you can do better." That. Or to this to this day, yeah. that's amazing. I'm, yeah, 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 that's amazing. I had like for me again. I think I don't know if it's because of NYU or that I don't know. Like me and G together were just such, um, and even how us three met. Like I'm such a community person. Yep. Um, but I do find such a sense of, oh, I went to NYU, then this group of friends all worked at the same restaurant, and then this group of friends made a theater company, and then that's, this group of friends. Doesn't, it doesn't have to be one that's person. It right yeah, there. Like, yeah. This group yeah. is like, this group, I'm thinking about them right now. I'm in an acting class. I'm never not in acting class. I fucking love acting class more than anything. And yes, our clothes are on, and there's no longer body lice. And well, <laughs> you could change that. You could definitely change it. You have that power, Katie Lowe. Well, yeah, I did hear that there is a lice outbreak in the TKs, uh, um, the little kids' classroom at my kids' school. And oh, I'm get it over with, man. Let's do it. Um, get that shampoo. I have to say, like, I get such strength from, I've always been like a, let's put up scenes with my friends and they hold me to the highest accountability Perfect. of what I can deliver. And I feel the same way with them. And, and I get to do work there that no one that the professional world has never seen me do like I get to play part like Martha and who's afraid of Virginia Woolf or right now I'm working on private lives and Noel Coward play and we're only Great. talking like this and Fabulous. I'm wearing flapper clothes who the fuck is going to let me do that and get paid for it <laughs> no one so it's just I've always held myself to being around other actors who I think are awesome and they think I'm good and I ask a lot of them and they ask a lot of me and I just need that space Constantly and always. And the only other person I'll say is Benny Bohm, who was the manager at Ammo. If you're an actor and you're listening and you have to have a side hustle to pay your bills and all that, like if you actually have a boss who supports that you're doing it versus is angry at you for doing it, it is the key. Because I used to leave him high and dry, have to run to auditions and callbacks and stuff. And I would say to him, Benny, when I am here. I'm going to be the greatest waitress, caterer you've ever seen. And sometimes it's going to suck and I'm going to be late because I'm going to be coming from the valley to a callback. Some show. Some procedural that happens somewhere. Some procedural. I will be coming back. And he would always say, kill it, break a leg. I got you. And then I would come back and he'd be like, how'd it go? Oh, man. And I. I love that. Guys, he's the manager at Jelena right now, which is a very hot restaurant in Venice. And if you ever see Benny Bone. I'm going to drop your name, baby, because I can't. I can't oh, get man. me a Let's go. when I want it. He <laughs> is the greatest human being and was, and he believed in me. Like he was like, I knew you were going to make it because you worked so yeah. hard. And I worked so hard at that restaurant, man. I did because he, I, he deserved it. Like I was like, this is the best dude. And I'm going to 
tell Jake Gyllenhaal that he can have his ALG apple lemon ginger juice without ice this morning. And I'm going to remake that latte because we didn't do a really good job and we <laughs> fucked it up or like whatever it was. <laughs> yes, you were fucking top notch, top drawer in that restaurant. See, but that is that's and it also just speaks to it. It seems like to such a degree the importance of that kind of community and the importance of that connection. And look, it's why we're all doing this podcast is because we all are unified by this incredible love and certainly my insane respect for what you all do, obviously, because I know how hard it is. And I also, I mean, it's the things that people don't realize when you walk into a room and you're auditioning and people aren't even looking at you. They're talking on their phone. They're, I mean, things that I would not believe would have ever happened. You live through on a regular basis. And that, yeah. so the, the people who are around you, who support you, who believe on you, believe on you, that would be a really dangerous Ooh, position. I want to be believed on. Oh, you want to be, I don't believe we all? on you. I want to believe on you. <laughs> I believe on you. It's very odd. Um, but I, I think that's, I think that's really, it's really important because three quarters of how we all survive in this is whatever workplace family you're in. And, you know, Katie, you create an entire theater company that, gives people a safe space and supports them to do what it is they do. And Guillermo, so much of the work that you've done and the energy that you put forth, even when you do the amazing genres that you do, you know, like you dig into it and the every single person to a letter always says, you know, when I work with Guillermo, I feel like I just feel safe and loved and respected. And it's, that's so much of, I think what we're always craving for, which is a community where we can be super different in ways, but we have this one thing in common. And that's what's like super yeah, cool. Totally. And and I think also coming from where Katie and I came from, we don't I don't we don't take shit for granted, right? Right. Like every day I'm on set, no matter what, to this day, I'm like, oh my God, I gotta do my best. Like I'm so grateful for this job. Ugh. And if I hadn't come up through, you know, background work and working in the subway and, uh, you know, theaters and student films. I, I don't think I'd have that sort of, uh, you know, appreciation and gratitude for any time I work, you know, and I hope that never goes away. Is there anything you really want to do that you haven't got a chance to do yet? Look, if you guys oh, yeah. could see Katie's face. So Katie's face, her eyeballs just popped out of her eyeballs. Oh, yeah, I say for sure. I mean, I feel so like, oh, I want all I wanted to do was like um, was was, you know, a procedural. I, I, I wanted to do that so bad. I knew I would be great at it and 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 be on all I wanted to be was a series regular on television and like great. Yeah. And then all I wanted to do was a wife on a sitcom. All I wanted to do was a wife on a sitcom. And all I wanted to do was a Broadway musical. And I feel so fucking grateful <laughs> that I can check those things off. Yes. And now I'm like. All I want to do is like sci-fi or like, I mean, I want to do something fucking weird sci-fi, like Hell yeah. scary. Right? And then I want to do horror. Like I, guys, I've got a fucking sick scream and I can run and I can be really I'm scary. just going to tell you something. She does have a really <laughs> sick scream. <laughs> I want to do that. Like, I think I could do so like, there's just so many cool things. I've never done period. Like, I would love to do 70s or 80s. I've never gotten to do I something where it's 60s, like... 60s, 70s, and 80s. Me yes. too. And I have a great head of hair for that. What the fuck, people? You do. Let's go. And look, I'm telling you, y'all, she's wearing, like, aviators from 1969. I'm telling you, I could do it. Yeah. I can do it. So, I think there's a little bit of that. Like, I, I'm a little bit... I feel bad, but you know, when you, I audition a lot for like modern comedies where we're just sort of like trying to be funny and we're speaking like how we speak. So I'd like to do something that's like more elevate, like if it is period or maybe it's horror or like a psychological thriller or sci-fi that's weird and everything gets to be a little bit more presentational. Like that's cool for me. I'm super pumped about that and I'm putting it out, guys. That's the what point. <laughs> Which also like, let's yeah. see you do something we're totally surprised you're doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What about you, Guillermo? What about you, sir? 
Yeah. I thought I loved you more than anything, Katie, and I can't love you even more now knowing that you want to do horror and sci-fi <laughs> because you know that my number one love is horror, horror. movies and horror. Horror, horror, horror and sci-fi. Oh, my God. Horror. Let's freaking do a fucking horror movie or a sci-fi movie together. And it's so funny. Just to, to go back really quickly, you grew up in Port Washington, and you know I'm all down for all the horror stuff. Amity but. Down. You, yes, I was going to mention Amityville Horror, Ooh. which was a house that was haunted in Long Island. But I've re- I've never, ever done like a, a proper, proper horror film. So I, I still really want to do that. And I want to do Shakespeare. I'm terrified, terrified oh, of it. Come do it and with I know me. Katie, yes, please. And I know, listen, I remember on set, Katie, sometimes Katie would go into a soliloquy from a Shakespeare play and know it by heart. Of something she did like I don't know Two how many years ago. Look like a dignity in fair Verona where we lay our From ancient Look corrupt breaks to new where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. And from forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life. I could go on for. I have got ten. I love it. So I want to do that. But I'm bragging. Amazing. <gasps> Scared shit, but what I'm down. What part would you want to do? I'm down do you know? to clown. Uh, the, I, I would love to do the Scottish play. I, I was love, just about to say, uh, I think you should do the Scottish play. I think yes. the Scottish play is a really, really good idea. I yes, I love Caesar. Yeah. Oof. Uh, I also like the weird thing, and I'm not going to nerd out on this, but anyway, Coriolanus is very underrated. I'll just say that. Take um, that, people. Coriolanus so is that's a little underrated. Bit of, that's a little <laughs> bit of pretension for a day where you're listening to a podcast. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Coriolanus done. Yeah, well, I have back in the geriatric days. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, it's it's about a guy with a mother complex. It's awesome. Oh, uh, I love that I, I can shit. usually figure out a way to reduce anything into one sentence, which is not really accurate, but at least is makes you think I <laughs> know what I'm talking about. Um, so as we wrap up this amazing deep dive into both of your lives, as we understand more what makes you tickies, so are you pretty much, if it all ended today, I would imagine you're all pretty proud of the work you've done, right? Absolutely. Fuck yeah, right? Hell yeah. I Fuck can't yeah. fucking believe anyone anywhere mm-hmm. ever was like, here is a check for your acting services. I cannot. Yes. I still yes. am shocked. Like, I'm like, wait, what? I mean, it's truly, uh, it's so hard, as you all have heard, to be employed as an actor. And I just can't. Sometimes I'm like driving my minivan around and I'm like, I can't <laughs> believe I like. Have a minivan that I paid for from acting. Like, that's insane. That's insane. It's insane. Right. It's one in a billion. And it's really uh, like my dad said, like, like, I just feel like I'm happiest on set and I love my job. And I um, can't believe that I've gotten to do it. And I hope I get to do it again. That's like really. Yeah. uh, And I don't want to wait tables again. (laughs) I don't want to babysit. No, no, no. No, I think it's one of the, Guillermo, I'm assuming you feel the same way. It was sort of a- Absolutely. Oh, yeah. For what everything that we all do, I just every day <laughs> get up and I feel so incredibly lucky and I am so passionate about it. And I am I feel like that's, that's the beauty of your work because you can see mm-hmm. that coming through. You can see the hard work, but you never make, you never make it look hard. You just know there must have been hard work somewhere. And so anybody who's listening to this, when you see these two work again, you're going to know what the journey is and the work is behind the scenes. But what you see looks incredibly easy. And that's because they're really fucking good at what they do. Thanks, um, Betsy thank you Beers. for doing this. It's been so much fun packing and unpacking and then putting more crap in the bag and pulling out a screwdriver and then drinking Making a screwdriver. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but this this was really fun. Oh, yeah. it was such this a was blast. Amazing. Like, and we've had you on unpacking the toolbox. So yes. we yes. so people who are interested can actually go back and listen about how Betsy Beers became oh, the prolific to, Betsy Beers. To the garbage pail yes. that is my strange past career. Uh, it's no, terrific. but it's so interesting because you were good and inter- in a lot of different yeah. weird fucking things that sort of all came together to make you so incredible at, at what you do um and in episodes coming up we have awesome guests coming up really like i think what's super exciting about this is if you've enjoyed like if you've enjoyed listening to today's podcast you've got a treat in store 
because <laughs> we have some people lined up who have incredibly surprising stories. Yep. I think it's, we all feel like it's, it's just great to understand how people that we've worked with got to where they get, what it is they do, because I believe that a lot of people out there may want to work in this business, but may not know exactly what it is they want to do. And -hmm. it's why I'm always preaching up producing. Mm -hmm. You see actors, you see directors, you hear about writers, but there are all these other incredible jobs that you honestly could not put anything on without the participation of these folks. And learning a bit about what they really do do, where they come from, how they got there, I think it's going to be really fun. And yes. I'm really oh, looking yeah. forward to it. And I can, I could, if I get to come back. And guys, <laughs> obviously of, of the three of our trio, Betsy is the, um, she is the most talented interviewer. So I don't think come that's along true. Come on the ride, have Betsy Beers ask the questions while Guillermo and I just put in some funny uh, interstitials. <laughs> I, th- I think, I think y'all been doing just a fine old job thank running you. a podcast yourself. Thank this you, is primarily about you. the fact I, like hanging out with you two, and this is the easiest way to do it at the moment because yes. you're both really busy. We're um, lucky. Well, it's mm-hmm. um, it, this was really fun. That would be it for us. Yes. Yeah. Stay tuned. We'll be interviewing and unpacking some other peeps from the industry on unpacking the toolbox. The toolbox. <laughs> the industry. <laughs> Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Katie. Thank, Thank you, Katie. I love you guys. Thank you, Guillermo. That Thank was a blast. You, Katie. That was such a blast. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Scandal is executive produced by Sandy Bailey, Alex Alche, Lauren Homan, Tyler Klang, and Gabrielle Collins. Our producer and editor is Vince DeJohnny, with music by Chad Fisher. Unpacking the Toolbox is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app or anywhere you subscribe to your favorite shows. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.